today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. There's still plenty of demonic spirits that are actively involved in the world today. As a matter of fact, whether you understand that, whether you agree with it or know about it or not, there's a spiritual warfare that's going on against your life, against every believer that would desire to hear and to know and to understand the Word of God. I believe in every opportunity that they have to stumble us up, to trip us up, to deceive us. I believe, again, those demonic spirits are actively involved. But for some of them, their judgment has already come. They're already under bondage. And I believe that those that are still actively involved today, their judgment is still before them. The Bible says that there are demonic forces of evil and principalities and powers of wickedness in high places that war against all the people of the earth and specifically against the people of God. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us of the reality of spiritual warfare so that we will all remember where our real enemy lies. Pastor David also teaches us that these spiritually wicked powers will ultimately face judgment and destruction. One day in the future, Almighty God will put an end to their evil deeds. Now here's Pastor David with part one of his message, Coming Judgment, from the book of 2 Peter, chapter 2. Peter here declares that there is an assurance that we need to have of God's condemnation to those that were false teachers and false prophets. And we, even though we might look and see that these guys and gals seem to be getting away with these things, that none of these things take God by surprise, nor are they going to be able to skirt around God's judgment on their lives. We looked at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 a couple of weeks ago when I was in the pulpit and I shared with you right then that Peter's main concern was that a lot of these false prophets, these false teachers were going to rise up from within the body of believers. They were going to come from within the church. They're going to be those that are serving in leadership positions in churches, those that are teaching Sunday school, those that are serving on boards. Yes, maybe even those that are in pulpits and they're going to rise up teaching false false doctrines, false teachings, and lead many people in, again, a bondage or leading them astray and far from the reality and the truth of what God's word declares. These individuals, they professed to be believers, and yet their message was a perversion from the reality of the truth that we find in God's word. We read it there in Second Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Peter writes, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow. Do you realize that many 
will follow. Peter understood that many are going to be snared in their trickery and in their deceit. Many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. I shared with you that these teachers, they use outright lies. They're going to use partial truth. They're going to take the word of God out of context or they're going to stretch the truth well beyond any of the intent that God ever desired for a particular word or particular message. I shared with you how even in the book of Deuteronomy, God warned the people that even if these false teachers, these false prophets come up and they do signs and wonders, don't believe them. Don't believe their lies. Don't believe their teachings because they're drawing you away from the purity and the context of God's word. I also reminded you how the Apostle Paul warned the church of Galatia. In Galatians chapter 1, we read where Paul writes, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As I've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. And even today, they come to our doors and they say, we want to share with you another gospel. And people buy it, hook, line, and sinker. Why? Because they're ignorant of what the word declares. They only know enough to get themselves in trouble with you. I shared with you also a couple of weeks ago that you can follow the money. The money is nearly always the major motivator with these false teachers. And there's some who seem to start out correct. They seem to start out right. And man, it seems like their ministry is doing well. But suddenly they begin to have some sort of success as far as the world is concerned. And with that success comes financial stability. And then from that financial stability, they're drawn more and more and more to change the focus to be for financial benefit rather than for the glory of God. And so these ministries go from something that starts out good to something that now is very much money-focused. And Paul warned Titus that these false teachers would come teaching things which they ought not to for the sake of dishonest gain. Very clear, very well laid out throughout the whole Word of God, Old Testament as well as New. And as I said, you can follow the money. And you can see the motivation, you can see the purpose behind so many of these ministries that are so popular today among many believers. And I'm not so naive as to think that maybe some of you, even this weekend or this week, have been quote-unquote blessed, perhaps by some of these teachers. You've enjoyed some of these teachers, and yet the reality is, man, they are not teaching the fullness and the truth of God's word. They are teaching a feel-good gospel. They're teaching a message that draws many people, and they're drawing more and more finances and money while they get rich on the back of the unsuspecting body of believers. Paul says, or Peter says here, we just read it, that by covetousness, They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. 
Peter speaks about these false teachers using deceptive words. Other versions say that it's false words or it's feigned words or fabricated words. It comes from a Greek word called uh, that, that is plastos, the Greek word plastos. Now, can you think for a moment where we might get an English word from that Greek word? Plastic. Plastic. They use manufactured plastic words to to, to deceive and to draw people into their trickery, not the real thing. And Peter reminds the church that as far as these false teachers and these false prophets go, their condemnation has already been declared. God's already declared it. Their judgment has already been pronounced and their destruction is going to happen. But when? If you're like me, and I've looked around, and unfortunately, some of you are like me. You, you, you shake your head and you wonder, God, how long? How long are they going to continue to bring destruction in people's lives? How long are they going to continue to deceive and drag down and destroy lives? How long, O oh Lord, until you bring your judgment on these people? We look at the damage that they've done, and they continue to bring these lives, unsuspecting lives, down and do great damage to the faith of some. People who desire to love the Lord, desire to follow the Lord, and they get sucked up by these false teachers, and then all of a sudden they find the deceit in it, and they throw their hands up, and they say, well, this whole Christianity thing must be a charade. It must be false because I bought into this other man's teaching or this woman's teaching hook, line, and sinker only to find it to be empty and useless and a lie. So all of Christianity must be a lie. People's lives are being damaged because of the greed of these false teachers and these false prophets. We have to cry out with the psalmist. The psalmist declared in Psalm 94, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and they speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and the murderer, and they murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Peter understands. He sees what's going on. He knows that their judgment is coming soon. And he wants to remind the church, just as he's reminding the first century church, it's a word to us. It's a reminder of the reality of their coming destruction. The thing is, is as he does this, Peter uses some pretty interesting biblical accounts to speak about God's coming destruction on these false teachers and God's ability to be able to preserve the godly even in the midst of pouring out his wrath. He speaks of fallen angels. He speaks about a worldwide flood in Noah's day where Noah and his family are saved and yet the rest of the world are totally destroyed. He speaks of the destruction, the total destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah where Lot and two of his daughters are able to escape it and yet the entire population of those two cities as well as the surrounding communities were destroyed. And in speaking of the certainty of that judgment, Peter writes to us now in verse 4, beginning in verse 4, 2 Peter chapter 2. He writes, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, 
and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, and making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And he also delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. If all that's true, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. I don't know about you, but if I, I think that if you and I were to write this letter to the churches, I'm just wondering if we would use the same incidences that Peter uses here. I mean, after all, he's, he's speaking to uh, those who profess to be believers, but I'm afraid that some who are believers, they have a hard time believing the validity of some of these particular events that have happened in the Bible. I mean, we're talking about fallen angels. Did you know that there's some believers who don't even believe in a supernatural? They, they profess Christ, but they really don't believe in the work of angels or in demons at all. Peter speaks about the flood of Noah's day. There's some believers today or professed Christ, but say, well, you know, science has disproved the, the worldwide flood, haven't they? I mean, that's not really and truly what happened. They're disregarding the truth of God's word. They even, again, doubt the reality of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the fact that Lot and his daughters were able to be saved out of that. The unfortunate thing is today, and in, in, in modern society, there are some Christians who have a hard time believing these accounts because they would rather believe the world than they would the Bible. They would rather believe something that they believe is solid and secure rather than believe something that to them is supernatural. Well, beloved, I feel sorry for you if you're a believer today or if you try to profess Christ and you don't believe in the supernatural because it's the supernatural that saved you. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that allowed the opportunity for you and I to be saved. You've got to believe in the supernatural, and you're a fool to not believe in it and to say, no, I only will believe in those things that I can actually hold on to, that I can that I can affirm, that I can attest. And again, it comes back to that idea of taking God and putting him in a box small enough for you to be able to maintain and contain. And if your God is that small, he's not large enough to save you. Amen? Amen. And I just you, you just need to know that this morning. That you and I as believers have to be willing to be stretched beyond our understanding to believe and to trust in a God who is greater than all things that we can ever begin to measure or to be able to, 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 to get a hold of. We look at these things and Peter speaks about the angels who sinned. They were cast down to hell and delivered. They were delivered into chains of darkness. They were reserved for judgment. There's a strong possibility of these angels that Peter is speaking here. They are the ones who, at least in part, they were part of the ones that again fell at the same time that Satan fell. And we again read about that throughout Old Testament as well as New. We speak about it in, in the book of Revelation. 
position of Satan falling and, and with his tail literally taking a third of the stars of heaven. And the understanding is, again, these angels that fell with him. We speak of Lucifer being built up and puffed up in his ego and his pride and being brought down. We read about that in the Old Testament. We understand that there, number one, that there is a Satan. Number two, that there is an angelic host that fell at the same time that Satan fell. That angelic host, now those fallen angels, are those that we look at now as demonic spirits. They are no longer the ministering spirits of God, but they are the demonic spirits of Satan himself. And a portion of those, a portion of those who fell, are apparently the ones that Peter is speaking about here. And in order to kind of understand what Peter is speaking about, these angels that were cast down to hell, that were delivered, that are in chains of darkness, that are reserved for judgment, we have to look, I believe, at some other passages within the Word. Many look at this and they they go back to the Genesis account in Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, we read of this account. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, that his days shall be 120 years. And there were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Now, I know that this depends upon your understanding or your interpretation of that phrase, the sons of God. And we look at this, and even in the book of Job, we read that the sons of God, again, came before God Almighty, and it was speaking of angels at that point in time. So we understand that there is a good, strong possibility that this passage in Genesis chapter 6 deals with these fallen angels. It's possible that that these angelic beings took the, the, the lives of human men, demonic possession, and with that, in the midst of that, they took wives for themselves. And the possibility of the DNA being so, again, perverted and, and messed up and all of the things that, that took place. Somehow these daughters of men were able to bear children to them because, again, they had these demonic spirits possessed now human bodies for all of that to happen. And there's a lot there that we don't have time to go into today. But there is also a parallel passage to what Peter writes that we find in the book of Jude. And with with Jude's words, it gives us another little bit more of a clarity. Jude writes to us in verse 6 about these angels who did not keep their proper domain, but they left their own abode. He God has reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. He's speaking of the same group, the same incident that Peter is speaking about. And Peter and Jude, both of them writing about these angelic beings who did not keep their proper domain. They left their own abode, and in doing so, they fell under the judgment of God. And God has bound them with these everlasting chains. He's cast them into a place of suffering, a place of bondage, awaiting their final judgment, their final and eternal punishment. Whatever their sin was, whatever their disobedience was, their condemnation, or at least a partial punishment, is already 
taking place. God hasn't uh, delayed that. Already they are in bondage. But yet there is also still a final judgment that's yet to come on them when that last day, that great and final day of God's great judgment on all of his creation comes about. And these who are already bound are going to have their final judgment. That's not all of the demonic spirits. That's only a portion of them. There's still plenty of demonic spirits that are actively involved in the world today. As a matter of fact, whether you understand that, whether you agree with it or know about it or not, there's a spiritual warfare that's going on against your life, against every believer that would desire to hear and to know and to understand the Word of God. I believe in every opportunity that they have to stumble us up, to trip us up, to deceive us. I believe, again, those demonic spirits are actively involved. But for some of them, their judgment has already come. They're already under bondage. And I believe that those that are still actively involved today, their judgment is still before them. Their punishment is still yet before them. Well, Peter goes on leaving the the, the point of the angels. He now goes into that event of Noah's flood, again, as another proof of God's fulfillment of judgment against the wicked. Peter says that God didn't spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one of of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Peter actually refers to a worldwide flood, and he speaks of this actually three different times within his writings. I believe that Peter believed that there was a worldwide flood. I believe that Peter believed what the Word of God declared about that. And apparently for him, it stood out as a significant reality of God's judgment against the wickedness and against the perversity of those who would continue to live away and against God's direction and God's purposes. And yet at the same time, in the midst of that worldwide destruction, God had an ability to be able to preserve the righteous in the midst of that overall judgment. And so Noah and Mrs. Noah and Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and Mrs. Sham, and Mrs. Ham, and Mrs. Japheth, all of them got into the ark. In Genesis 6 and 7, we find that God had determined to destroy from the face of the earth all living things that he had made. And there would be absolutely no exceptions outside of Noah and his family. And on that appointed day, God called Noah and his family into the ark, and the Lord shut him in. And on that day, the word says that all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both men and cattle, creeping things and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. The entire world was destroyed by this catastrophic flood as God preserved Noah and his family. And the reason that God did that was because of the greatness of the wickedness of man that just continued to increase and continued to increase. And God says, enough is enough is enough. And God told Noah, go and build this ark. And in that ark, I'll preserve a new beginning, a new beginning. Our encouragement should be 
the guarantee that God's judgment is real. And God is never going to be thwarted by the efforts or by the power or by any kind of overwhelming wickedness that man can do. so glad we were able to spend time with you today on The Open Word. We hope the message you heard has been encouraging and maybe even given you an incentive to dig a little deeper into the book of 2 Peter for yourself. Did you know that you don't have to wait to hear more teachings from The Open Word? Just visit our website, theopenword.com. We have a number of messages available there to listen to right now or download to hear at your convenience. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes so you'll never miss a teaching. You're an important part of the ministry here at The Open Word. If you've felt a prompting to become more involved in this great ministry, listen up. Pastor David has a special message just for you. You know, I love being able to share the Word of God with you through this radio ministry. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. But as with any ministry, there are expenses. I know God is blessing His children through The Open Word. And God has given us a vision to see this ministry expand and reach even further. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to theopenword.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Your gift, large or small, is greatly appreciated for the kingdom of God. Thanks, Pastor David. That's all we have time for today. Pastor David will continue teaching through 2 Peter when you join us next time on The Open Word. Cause